Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being here. There's no better place to be at this moment than in this worship, to praise your name and to hear your voice speaking to us through the ministry of the word. Father, we ask that as we open that word this morning that your Holy Spirit will be with us. Guide our thoughts, open our hearts. And I ask, Lord, that you will make us more and more like Jesus each day. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. And we know that you have heard this prayer because we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we begin this morning, I would like to read a statement that we find in the book Education, page 18. The theme that has been given to me for the three devotionals that I would share with you is Our High Calling. Now that's an interesting uh, name, that's an interesting theme because actually there's a devotional book written by Ellen White that's, uh, that has that name. This is a short statement, but it will set the tone for what we're going to talk about in the next few mornings. Higher than the highest human thought. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for His children. What is that ideal? I think you've probably read this statement before. Godliness. And then she puts dash, God-likeness dash is the goal to be reached. So basically she's saying that godliness is God-likeness. Now the question is, what is God-likeness? The fact is that we could never know what God-likeness is unless we know God. And so we have to know God to know what God is like. But the Bible tells us that there's a problem. And that problem is expressed in a text that states that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen nor can see. So we have a dilemma. And the dilemma is God wants us to be like Him, but we have to know what He's like. But He's unapproachable. So how can we know what He's like so that we can copy the pattern? I think you all know the answer. There's one member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, whom the Bible calls God, who has undertaken the task of revealing what God is like. In John 1 verses 1 through 3, we find clearly stated that Jesus is God. You're well acquainted with this passage that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So irrespective of what many are saying, even inside the church, that Jesus was a created being, He's kind of a lesser God, 
The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is God in the fullest sense of the word. He's eternal, everlasting God. And of course, we know that the way in which God reveals himself, because he dwells in light unapproachable, in fact, Ellen White once had a vision where she asked Jesus if his father had a form like himself. And Jesus said, yes, he does have a form like mine. But if you should once behold the glory of his person, you would cease to exist. So we can't approach God the Father. That's the reason why Jesus, God the Son, who is God in every sense of the word, decided to take upon himself human flesh, to veil his divine glory, so that he could reveal what God is like without destroying us. And that's the reason why in John chapter 1 and verse 14, we find this statement. And the Word, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory in Scripture is the character of God. We beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so God reveals himself without destroying us by Jesus Christ taking human flesh and veiling his divine glory and revealing the character of God. Now a little bit later in John chapter 1, Actually, in verse 18, we find a very interesting statement which shows that there's no one who could ever reveal the nature of God like Jesus could. It says there, And no one has seen God at any time. And now comes the portion I want to underline. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Do you know, if you look up the word bosom in Scripture, it's, the, it's an expression of the closest that you can be to a person. We're told here that Jesus is in the bosom of his Father. In other words, he, he is the closest of any being in the universe to his Father. Therefore, he can reveal fully and completely and totally what God is really like. And I believe that this is the reason why when Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, we find the following words in John chapter 14 and verses 7 through 9. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so the way in which God reveals himself 
without destroying us is in the face of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus Christ. But there's more to the story than this. You know, as Adventists, we believe that the final controversy in this world will have to do with God's holy law. In fact, Revelation 12, verse 17, one of the best-known verses in the Seventh-day Adventist church, states that the dragon was wroth with the woman, and he went to make war against the remnant of her seed. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is character? The fact is, folks, that Jesus revealed the Father. But in revealing the Father, Jesus revealed in His person the law. Because the law is a reflection of the character of God. Notice Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8. This is a very significant verse. Here Jesus is speaking messianically a thousand years before His birth. And I want you to notice what Jesus prophetically says. I delight to do your will, O my God. Yea, your law is within my heart. You see, what Jesus revealed to human beings was the law in living color. The law in human flesh. The living law, if you please. Now, I found this statement from Ellen White in the volume 5 of the Bible Commentary, page 1131. This is an amazing statement. You know, Jesus is called the Word of God. Listen to how Ellen White explains it. What speech is to thought, we think and then we what? Hopefully, we think and then we speak. Hopefully we're not like Peter, we speak and then we think. <laughs> but here it says, what speech is to thought, we think and then we speak what we think. She continues saying, so is Christ to the invisible Father. Jesus is the speech of God. The Father thinks and Jesus speaks what the Father thinks. So if we can know how Jesus speaks, we know how the Father speaks. Now notice what she continues saying. What speech is to thought, so is Christ to the invisible Father. He is the manifestation of the Father and is called the Word of God. God sent His Son into the world, His divinity clothed with humanity, that man might bear the image of the invisible God. Why was Jesus sent? So that we could bear the image of the invisible God. So that we could have God-likeness. She continues saying, He made known in His words, His character, His power and majesty, the nature and attributes of God. Divinity flashed through humanity in softening, subduing light. And now listen to this. He was the embodiment of the law of God. What does that mean, the embodiment? It means that He was the law in bodily form. 
He was the law lived. So she says he was the embodiment of the law of God, which is the transcript of his character. So what is the final controversy over? It is over the law of God, but there's something deeper than that. It is over the character of God, because the law of God is a reflection of His character. It's God in written form, and Jesus is the law lived. So if you really want to understand the, the spiritual nature of the law, you have to see Jesus, because He's the law in living color. So the final controversy is not simply over ten rules written on tables of stone, it's about ten rules written in the tables of the heart that is translated into the life. Now the big question is, yes we see God-likeness in Christ, we see the character of God revealed in Christ, we see the law revealed in Christ, but the question is, how does that translate to us? Well the fact is folks, that the only way that we can reflect the character of Christ, that we can truly have the law written in our hearts, is by spending time with Christ. Time in prayer. Time in Scripture, because that's where we catch a glimpse of Christ. And also time in witnessing to other people which I call the triangle of sanctification. You know, I had the privilege of teaching theology for about six years in our Seventh-day Adventist University in the city of Medellin, Colombia. Um, I'm a missionary's kid. My parents went to South America when I was four. And I still keep my Spanish up because I preach a lot in different Latin American countries. But uh, while, when I taught there, I had a student that went through my classes. He actually was my student for three years because I left before he finished his theological degree. Uh, this individual was just a phenomenal student. He would come into class, and he would sit on the front row. First thing he would do would be open his Bible, take out his notebook, and from the time that the class started till the time that the class ended, the only time he took his eyes off of me was to write in his notebook what I was speaking in class. It was just total concentration. Actually, he's the best student I ever had. He now teaches at Southwestern Adventist University in Keene. His name is George Rico. Um, phenomenal guy, not only as a teacher, but as a person. You know, one day I was uh, preaching in a certain place, and a sister came up to me, and she says, Pastor Bohr, do you know George Rico? I looked at her and said, yes, I know George Rico. She says, well, you preach just like he does. <laughs> you know, I, I, I lowered my head a little bit. I, I, I almost had to blurt out it laughing, you know. And I said, sister, you know, uh, perhaps the reason why is because he spent three years in the classroom. He took every class that I had to offer there at the university, 
and she was embarrassed. She said, oh, pastor, I'm sorry. She, she thought that I had uh, watched his videos and that I had actually <laughs> come to reflect his, his style. Uh, but my point is this, why, you know, and, and you really look at him, we invited him to um, a church retreat a few years ago, and some of my church members came back because I wasn't able to attend, and said, man, that guy preaches just like you do. The same inflection of the voice, the same way of moving the arms, the same way of emphasizing words. I mean, practically identical. Why? Because when you spend time with someone, you start reflecting them. It's a principle. You're well acquainted with 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, where we have this principle. Ellen White says it's as much a principle as what we eat is what we are, physically. She says spiritually we are what we eat spiritually through our eyes and through our ears. It's a law of our being, according to her. What does it say there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18? By beholding, we are what? We are changed. Do you know what that word changed is in Greek? It's the word metamorpho. What word do we get in English from metamorpho? Metamorphosis. Do you know what a metamorphosis is? I'll tell you what it is. When I was a kid, I collected butterflies. Not only as a pathfinder, it was my hobby. I became quite proficient at it. In fact, almost a professional. If you want to see some of my collection, it's still at Wisconsin Academy, where I went to the academy many, many, many years ago. You know, I learned how to classify them. I, I learned how to mount them, you know, to make sure that their antenna and none of their legs fell off. You know, it has to be absolutely perfect. You know, I had the privilege of seeing the development of a butterfly from the time that the eggs were laid by the mother, mother butterfly on a leaf. I put those eggs uh, that leaf with eggs inside a jar, I would see the eggs hatch. You had these little tiny caterpillars, and then I would continue putting leaves. They would eat the leaves, and they would become a big caterpillar. And then the caterpillar would attach itself to the, the bottom of the lid and, you know, bury itself in a chrysalis or a cocoon. You know, I know that that uh, caterpillar went into that cocoon, a caterpillar. But then, a short while later, the cocoon would shake violently. It would start breaking open. And lo and behold, out of the cocoon comes a butterfly. Unbelievable. You know, I, I looked up the word metamorphosis on Google. <laughs> Scientists have all kinds of explanations as to how the transformation takes place, but they don't really know how the they, they, they can perhaps explain it morphologically, but they can't really explain the reason why this happens or why a tadpole eventually becomes a frog. That's also a metamorphosis. 
That's what the word that is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. By beholding, we become not just changed partially, a metamorphosis takes place. A radical, total, complete change to the point that when we spend time with Jesus in prayer, with Jesus in Bible study, in seeing Jesus in other people. We are transformed and we are changed and we fulfill the high calling that God has for us. Because that's the reason why God has placed us in this world. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 418, in the last chapter where she talks about uh, the parable of the ten virgins, the coming of the bridegroom, Ellen White says this, Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God. What are we supposed to say? Now listen, behold your God. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of His character of love. But I cannot reveal what I don't have. And I cannot have it unless I spend time with Christ. She continues saying, the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of His character of love. In other words, of the law living in our flesh. She continues saying, the children of God are to manifest His glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Isn't that a powerful statement? I'd like to invite you to go in your Bibles if you brought them with me to Isaiah chapter 14. We've said that we need to be like God. Now let's notice this interesting passage that we've read many times before, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. It's speaking about Lucifer. And it says there, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you, have weak, you who weaken the nations. Now listen carefully. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Godlikeness. What distinguishes Lucifer from the Godlikeness that Ellen White is talking about? He says, I will be like the Most High. Ellen White says, Godlikeness should be our ideal. I think you know the answer. Lucifer wanted God's power, but he did not want God's character. You know, and as I've read Isaiah 14, this passage that speaks about the fall of Lucifer, and Ezekiel chapter 28, where it's, it speaks also about Lucifer, 
I've discovered that four things led to his fall. Number one, his desire for power. I will be like the Most High. I will have his power. Not his character, but his power. The second thing that led to his downfall was riches. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 28, it says you have increased your riches, believe it or not. The third thing was he considered himself super wise and intelligent. It says you corrupted your wisdom. And the last thing that ruined him was his beauty, his image. Let me ask you, are these the very things today in the world that are ruining people? Power, money, corrupting wisdom and education and beauty? Absolutely. Now I'd like to share with you a sad story. I debated on whether share, to share this story with you or not because it involves one of my family members, but I will because I know that you will put this family member on your prayer list. I have an uncle. He's my father's brother who got his medical degree from Loma Linda University. Actually, it was a college of medical evangelists back then. Ah, we like that name, don't we? Praise the Lord. Like, uh, I like Southern Missionary University. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> Junior missionary volunteers. How did I get up on that? You made me do it. But anyway, he studied at the School of Medical Evangelists, and then later he taught physiology at the College of Medical Evangelists. Very well known. Had everything going for him. I mean, super intelligent. I mean, brilliant. Really nice looking. I mean, all of the qualities, and I hate to say this, the, all the qualities that we notice in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Shortly after he stopped teaching there at uh, the College of Medical uh, of Evangelists, he decided that he would pursue a degree in psychiatry. Several of uh, his colleagues warned him that this would be a dangerous endeavor. Not that you can't be a good psychiatrist, but you have to be well-founded and well-grounded because it's a dangerous field, as is psychology. I'm sure you know the dangers. But anyway, he said, I'm strong enough. I can go there and I will not lose my worldview. So he got his degree in psychiatry. Sad to say, this led, to, led him to divorce his wife, who had worked very, very hard to get him through school. As soon as he finished school, he divorced her. And he married another lady who was not a strong spiritual influence on him. And he left the church. Not only did he leave the church, but he left God. He now claims to be 
an atheist. If you want to read some interesting things, you might want to go to his blog. It's the octogenarian. He's 87 years old. I mean, he writes like a philosopher. You can read there several pages where he gives his life story. I just read it. I was at my dad's house yesterday before I came here. And as you read his biography, you can't help but see that everything that he says is, I did this, and I did that, and I have this, and I have that. And I've come to terms with myself. He's, you know, he uses, for example, the Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I did childish things. So he says, when I was a child, I was an Adventist, but now I've grown up. <laughs> Amazing. One day I was at his house. I don't really like to go there very much because he makes fun of God and religion. There's, he has this big Buddha in the, cor in the corner of his house with a, with a glass of wine in one hand with a plate of food in the other. Big pot belly. And he says, Steve, that's the God of this house. I believe in God. That's the God of this house. And I said, what do you mean? He says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Sad. But you know, as I look back, I'm pretty sure I know what went wrong. He spent more and more time in books, more and more time in accumulating money, more and more time in building up his image, less and less time with the Lord, and less and less time with the Bible, until now, he wants nothing to do with religion. He wants nothing to do with the Bible. He wants nothing to do with God. He even says in his blog that he's willing to die in peace knowing that death is simply going back into non-existence. How different from the hope that we have as Seventh-day Adventists? How different from our worldview but folks, the only way that we can conserve that worldview is if we spend quality time with Jesus. We become so busy in important things that we forget the life and death matter things. You know, as professional, I know that I get myself caught up in this too. You know, directing the ministry and also pastoring a church that has 1,200 members. You know, I have the tendency to get caught up in matters that I consider to be important, and they are important. But sometimes I forget there, that there are things that are more important, and that is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I pray to God that as we reflect upon what we've studied this morning, that we will make a firm determination in our minds and in our hearts that if we have not been dedicating this time to Jesus, that we will dedicate this time to Him. That this medical convention will not only be informative, but will be transformative. And that it will change the routine that we've been involved in. Because I believe, folks, that Jesus is coming very, very soon. 
And we not only want to, want to be ready, but we want to make other people ready as well. That's, that's the reason why we have institutions in this church. That's the reason why we have culpers. That's the reason why we have uh, educational institutions. Folks, the only reason we have any of this is to prepare people for the coming of Christ, to live in eternity with him. So I pray to God that that will be our focus throughout this day, throughout the convention, and throughout our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for being willing to send Jesus to live in our midst. What an awesome thought. God in human flesh. In our flesh. Amazing. Thank you for being willing to allow Jesus to go through the tortures of Gethsemane and the cross. Father, we know that it's as we behold his goodness that we behold our badness. And that as we behold our badness, we see his goodness. Lord, I just ask that you will help us to focus on what's really important, our relationship with Jesus. Lord, enhance our prayer life. Enhance our Bible study experience. Enhance, Lord, our witnessing to others. Help us to have this one focus because it will totally and completely transform our lives and the lives of others. We thank you, Father, for having been with us this morning. We ask that you will bless us this day. We thank you for hearing our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen. Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.